Welcome to Rainier View. My name is Jeff. I'm part of the teaching team here and we're continuing our all-in initiative. And we're talking about generosity today. And really that's the cornerstone of this whole initiative. And you may be wondering, why should I be generous to a church? I don't know your story. I don't know your background, but I want to tell you a story of why we are unashamedly encouraging everyone who calls Rainier View their church home to be generous. Uh, about a year ago, we had the opportunity to partner with a global partner, Missions of Hope International, that are located in Kenya, that's doing some amazing ministry, uh, serving over 25,000 children who we would describe maybe as at risk, uh, and building school sites and, and dental and medical centers and churches in 30 different communities in Kenya. And so we've been partnering with them for well over 15 years, uh, sponsoring children. And so this past year, we learned about an opportunity in the northern part of the Turkana Valley region of Kenya. There was a people group there who were mostly tribal uh, kind of herdsmen. And so there was extreme poverty in their region because up until recently, it hadn't rained for over three years straight. There wasn't a lot of hope. And one of the only means of economic advancement for this, this people group in the Turkana Valley in this region called Letra Dome um, was to engage in this practice of selling their daughters off for marriage for a dowry. And so the people of this tribal group would sell their daughters into marriage as young as 10, 11, and 12 years old. And that's so incredibly heartbreaking. But the beauty is that somehow this group of people heard about the work of Missions of Hope International, which was started by Mary and Wallace Kamau. And she was in that region. And the people of this group came to her and they said, we want a school site here too. We want a school to send our children to. Would you build one? <laughs> and Mary, in her vision and her uh, just willingness to say yes to God, said, I'll be back in two weeks. And so long story short, they began a school site there. And there's over 200 kids in this region now are in what we would term an elementary school. And, and generational cycles uh, of injustice and poverty are beginning to be broken. But then just, just a few weeks ago, for the first time in over three years, it rained. But not only did it rain, it was a storm. There was a lot of wind. And so the structures of this school, which in our minds are, are super primitive, we're talking corrugated metal and, and metal beam and branch posts to hold everything together. It's actually pretty common in Kenya to have buildings like this, at least as a, a beginning place. But the storm just leveled almost everything. And so now there's no buildings left for a school. And not only that, the people in the Letradome region are now afraid to return to a building like that, worried what happens if another storm comes because nobody was seriously injured or killed this time, but what might happen if something like that happens again? And so they really desire for more of a brick and mortar style building to be built. And so Mohi decided we're gonna move forward. We're gonna try and get a brick and mortar school building, one school block built there. They didn't know how that would be funded. They didn't know how God might provide. And so I get, a, I get a text from one of our representatives from Mohi, Dick. He says, hey, can I, can I check in and see what maybe Rainier View is thinking in terms of partnering with us in this Letradome region that we've talked about? We do want to partner and help establish a fully built out uh, school site with kitchen and, and classrooms and staff housing and all of that. And so what Dick did not know 
is that the night before, our elders made a decision. Now, what you need to know is at Rainier View, we tend to try and tithe on all the money that comes in here, uh, that, that is given here. We want to generously give about 10% of that outside of ourselves. And so in Mohi, Missions of Hope International is one of those places that we do so. But what Dick didn't know, the very night before, our elders authorized a $20,000 gift to be used for Mohi to begin to establish a more developed school site. The very night before, Dick reaches out and says, is there any way you can help? And so what you need to know about that is two things. One, this large gift enables Mohi to get a contractor immediately and begin construction immediately as other funds become available, that these people do not have to wait for a future build. They don't have to wait and see what happens. And this is only possible because of this, this concept that we're leaning into in this all-in initiative and moving forward that we really con uh, conceptualize our giving as to one fund here at Interview, meaning that everything is given into one big bucket, one big cistern, if you will. So that gives us the freedom to invest in opportunities in ways. And when our gifts are all collected and available as a, as a large amount, we can see this immediate impact that we're able to have because we've entrusted one another. We've been united with our generosity. And so we have this immediate ability to make an impact. But the thing I love the most about it is what Dick shared about the people in this Letra Dome region. He said this, he said, uh, they are going to be so happy uh, not only to receive this gift, but because they know that somebody cares, that they are not forgotten, that somebody is thinking of them, and that we get to participate in this kind of generosity. And then the cherry on the top of this whole story is that very day when all of this is happening, I sit down to do my own quiet time. We encourage you to have this rhythm of engaging with the Bible daily and praying. And I'm sitting down, and I'm reading my devotional, and the devotional is talking about there are so many needs that we are aware of now globally, and we see things happening like in Africa, and we have to respond. The time to respond is now. I don't know where you are in your faith. I don't know your journey. But man, this is a morning. This is a moment to lean in and consider what God is doing. Now, this is just one example of the power of our combined generosity to break generational cycles uh, of poverty and injustice and see a beautiful new future for young people and families and entire communities to be transformed. But the point isn't that we're going to be able to solve every problem. The point isn't that we're going to be able to somehow eradicate poverty or homelessness completely. That's not the point. The point is Though, when we learn to be generous, we can see needs being met that are unmet right now. That we cannot solve every problem, but we can be part of meeting some needs in a powerful and a profound way. And the world doesn't have the answer that we have because we have the heart of Jesus behind our generosity. It changes and transforms everything. It allows us to act in a world that doesn't know where to begin. It allows us to sacrifice because we have a reason to sacrifice because Jesus has already sacrificed on our behalf. We know what it looks like to love sacrificially and lead the way with our generosity. But if we're going to experience making a greater difference 
in embracing generosity in a, in a deeper way as individuals and corporately together as the Rainier View Church family, we have to understand what's going on in our hearts and our minds first and foremost. Because when we haven't broken the fear and control that money has over our hearts and minds, it robs us, it holds us back of the ability to truly be generous and see needs be met in a more holistic and powerful way. And there are many things that you probably want to experience freedom from. But one of the greatest ways we remain trapped in life is around our finances. You know, I've shared this story before here at Rainier View about what we were willing to do to become completely debt-free. But once you become debt-free, there's another question that comes. <laughs> now what? What do we do next? And here's what I want you to know. You can become debt-free and still be held trapped in the grip of money. You can become completely debt-free and still be trapped by the grip that money has over your life. Maybe for you, it's a never-ending quest for that mythical, just enough, a little bit more, then I will be financially secure. But the reality is, for many of us, there's never enough in the bank account. There's never enough in that retirement account where we truly feel secure and satisfied. Maybe for you, money is just bound up and your trap around money is that you believe it's going to bring you happiness, right? That you can have a maybe bigger or better house and that's going to make you more happy. You're going to be able to take bigger and better and longer vacations and that's what's going to make you happy. That new car, that new truck, uh, that, that concert or that experience, that event, and that those are going to bring happiness. And they might bring happiness temporarily, but it fades very, very quickly. That money is not going to provide you the happiness that you're looking for. Now, I want to make it clear, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those purchases that I just talked about or any of those experiences that I just talked about. But if you never learn what you're supposed to do with your money and how to, how to approach it from a biblical point of view, you are always going to be in danger of being trapped and ensnared and held back by your finances and money and never experiencing the freedom that God desires for you to experience. Jesus gave us this wisdom that he spoke and is recorded in Matthew 6, verse 24, where we read, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And in our consumer culture, like I said, even if you get debt free, we can still end up being slaves to our money unless we truly learn to become generous givers. And so that grip of fear and anxiety can have a stranglehold over our life and build up what sometimes we refer to here at Rainier View as a stronghold. The stronghold of materialism can be an extremely powerful influence in our life. And so the idea of a stronghold is something, anything, that has an outsized influence and control over our life and something that becomes to the point at which uh, it has more control, more influence than God in our life. And anything, no matter what it is, the biblical word for that is an idol. And so those idols can build up and have this stronghold influence. And materialism in our culture, in the, in the developed world, that becomes the stronghold, kind of like Lord of the Rings. It becomes the one ring to rule over all the other struggles and strongholds in our life so often. It keeps us from fully following in the way of Jesus. It's only when we find something bigger than ourselves can we truly experience the freedom that God wants for us. 
consider this truth from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love what these verses say when it comes to our ability to produce wealth. Deuteronomy 8 verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And so today, right now, can be a powerful moment for you to decide, is my trust in myself, my own power, to generate wealth? Or am I finally going to learn to trust the one who has created it all and is worthy of all? One of the most powerful things that can happen in our lives when we choose to embrace faith is that we no longer have the burden of trying to live as if we are God of our own lives. We're, we're unencumbered of the burden to figure out everything in life and solve everything and create our own worldview. That you no longer have to have all the answers. You no longer have to figure everything out on your own. And generosity is a powerful rhythm to help, help us experience that power and that freedom in our lives. Uh, and again, sometimes as I like to say, you are a terrible God of your own life. Generosity is the pathway to unburdening ourselves of that terrible weight that we often carry around. But furthermore, generosity, one of the things that it is, generosity is revealed through the, through, uh, the generosity of his people, meaning God himself is revealed through the generosity of his people. When we choose to be generous, God is revealed in a powerful and a new way. And so if we want to see God at work in a greater and a more powerful way, if we want to see change happening in our world, we've got to learn how to become more generous. And when we are, we see the, the lies that our culture tells us. We see people being able to be freed from those and live, as the Bible sometimes describes, in the light. To see people who are just hampered with and shackled by anxiety in ways that they don't have to be and experiencing a true hope and a peace that gives a power for today and a hope for the future. When we learn to be more generous collectively as a church family, we see more physical and spiritual needs right in our community and beyond being met. We've got to learn to answer the call to generosity, both for ourselves as well as for the good of others. And this reality that, that God has been revealed through the generosity of his people is something that is timeless. It's always been the case. And so I want to look at a key passage that teaches us this out of uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 9. And the background to this is that there's this church in this region of Macedonia, and they are extremely impoverished, and they're living through a famine. It is not a great time for them to be extra generous. And yet they insist, Paul, we want to bring a gift. And to this backdrop, this is kind of the backdrop to what we read here in 2 Corinthians. And so would you read with me? Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So you look back in that passage and find the part and mark it, highlight it, uh, make a note of uh, this principle of you reap what you sow. And that principle is so important. Sorry, couldn't help myself, uh, but there it is. Okay, it was just hanging there. But uh, regardless of dad jokes aside, this wisdom is so important for us to understand in our lives. The principle of reaping what we sow, when we understand this, this wisdom, it radically changes how we invest our time, our energy, our focuses, uh, and our financial resources as well. Uh, because the, the way, the primary way that that principle is applied here is to our finances and to our generosity. Biblically, provision is linked to generosity and gratitude. And so when we learn to give the way that God tells us to give and to be generous the way that God uh, invites us to, we see how he provides. And when we see how God provides, our trust in him grows and rises. And when our trust in God grows and rises, so does our peace and our contentment and our gratefulness. It's like we're making deposits in our own accounts of gratefulness uh, and contentment when we choose to trust God and be generous with what he's already entrusted to us. And so it's just like compound interest. And I'll speak to those of you who are younger. If you're a teenager, if you're in your 20s, right? We get there's so many things, there's so many voices that are, that are maybe pulling you away from considering following Jesus and really having faith uh, be, you know, first and foremost in your life. But one of the things that happens when you learn now at a young age to weave faith into your life is that you're building that compound interest of peace and contentment in, into your life in a world that is awash with anxiety and no answers with really how to face it well. Because one of the problems in our culture is that it says full and complete freedom to do whatever you want is going to lead to your fulfillment. And that is simply not true. It's simply a lie. Actually living a boundaryless life is like drowning in nothingness one inch at a time. Now, embracing faith fully in your life, I'm going to be honest and upfront, that's going to cost you something. There's going to be opportunities that you're going to have to say no to. There's going to be relationships that might end even if just for a season because you choose to embrace faith. But what I can tell you wholeheartedly, 100%, is the return on the peace and contentment and purpose and meaning that comes from learning to weave your faith into every aspect of your life is so, so worth it. Consider this principle of reaping what we sow. Let's continue in this passage in 2 Corinthians. It says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Did you catch there in that passage we just looked at? 
how God shows up through the generosity of those Macedonians, and it leads to, to others praising God because of it. This connection between God being revealed and others being generous. It's generosity just simply a core part of our discipleship journey of walking fully with Jesus. And we understand it's a difficult part of our discipleship journey to, to walk out depending where you're at in the longevity of your faith, depending on your current circumstances right now, we get that it's challenging. It is all about you identifying what your next step is, not trying to keep pace with somebody else. Just identify where you are and how God's spirit is leading you in this moment. Don't worry and compare yourself to somebody else. But this is why we're in this all-in initiative. Just like our gift is going to go halfway around the world to northern Kenya in the Turkana Valley and radically change the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people. We get to participate in this biblical principle of reaping what we sow. And this is why we're in this all-in initiative together. And again, we've used this imagery of this, uh, uh, of this big cistern or well with different spigots. And we want to have the, the flow of those spigots flowing more fully. We want to, again, uh, fully fund our ongoing ministries, not minimally, but fully. We're going to invest in our facilities that saw well over a thousand people in adult service attendance on Easter Sunday. And we want to, again, steward those facilities well so that people can encounter the good news of Jesus and experience life change and transformation. We want to continue to make investments in both local and global partners to see lives that are, that are caught in poverty, sometimes extreme poverty, experience radical transformation because of the generosity of God's people. We want to work hard at turning off that tap of building debt to, to have the, the ministry uh, funding flow more fully to meet more and more unmet needs in our community and in our world. Because becoming debt-free, it's not about just the freedom of not having the debt. It's not just about like making cozy, nice buildings for ourselves. No, it's not about that at all. Again, we can be in debt or we can be debt free and still be in the grip of our own preferences. No, we want to become debt free in order to open up greater generosity and meet more needs. It's about having the maximum resources available to be all in on where God wants us to go and where God wants us to invest as a church family. And so we want to be committed to these core commitments, some of which look like showing up for our cities making Jesus real to the next generation. And when you are all in with your generosity and your contribution, it enables to, us to run fully after those things. Now, again, I know some of you are joining and you're like, yeah, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not gonna contribute. I don't think I should have to give. And it's not my job to convince you of that. I would just ask you, I would just invite you to sit with God to truly pursue God and just ask God, what do you want me to do? Uh, my wife Amy and I, we're working through the same process of determining what is our next step of generosity, right? And looking at the challenges and looking at the trust level that that's going to require us to increase and do. But we want to reap a generous harvest, just like the Macedonian church did. Not necessarily financially, but a generous harvest in seeing lives changed and transformed for the sake of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And in the four and a half years we've been here at Rainier View, uh, God has blessed us with being able to be part of some of those beautiful stories. One of those being the story that I opened with today. But again, that's why we're in this all-in initiative together. That's why our contributions matter. We want to bring our gift, our part over the next couple of years in order to, to see God 
just increase this harvest of righteousness, this good things that God wants us to participate with him in. And so we know that God is working in a powerful way. Let me close with one more story briefly and one more uh, piece of scripture. So a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, uh, there, there's a, a guy at our Graham campus. His name's Robin. Uh, many of you know him. Uh, and he is just, just he has the biggest heart. But he was listening to how God was leading him. And there's a, there's a men's retirement home locally, and it needed a little bit of, uh, you know, TLC around some of the yard work out front. And, and so the, his, his men's group uh, just said, hey, we'd love to come one Saturday and help, help do some stuff. And they said, great. Uh, and so the men's group came, and they did a little bit of landscaping, a little bit of cleanup. But then Robin got to talking with the director. He said, would, would the men of your home ever be interested in a Bible study? And they said, sure. And so Robin got a couple guys, and they just showed up. And guys just came out of the, the woodwork, so to speak. Um, this men's home is about half veterans, half not. Um, but if you know anything about retirement homes, it can be a very, very lonely place. And these men were so grateful that somebody would just come and be with them. And after a few weeks of Robin mostly just showing up and listening <laughs> and just being present, one of the men came up to him afterwards. He said, I'm so grateful that you've chosen to come and show up and be with us on Saturday mornings. I want to give something just as a, as a way to say thank you for, for what you're doing and, and what, what your church uh, has allowed, allowed you to do and, and how you've shown up. And so Robin holds out his, his big old loving bear paw of a hand, and this man puts in his hand three coins. And then Robin's recounting this story to me in the lobby uh, the next day at church, and he shows me those three coins, and he puts those coins in the offering box. And what gets me about this story is it's not about the contribution, right? It's not about the amount. It's about there was somebody in Pierce County who did not have the opportunity to be generous and was able to participate in being generous because one of you at Rainier View was willing to go where, where God's Spirit was leading and to show up. And I wonder how many more stories like that, how many more people can participate in the kingdom of God kind of life as we learn to be all in together. Let me read one more story uh, that, because we cannot fix everything, but we can have the heart like this woman that we read of in Mark 12, beginning in verse 41. We read, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings are put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. We all have something to bring. Would you be willing to sit with God? Ask him, what is my contribution supposed to be in this season, in this moment? I want you to hear now from a, from a couple at Rainier View and hearing their story and their journey of learning what it means to become more generous.
Hello, I'm Dan McReynolds. I'm Sue McReynolds. And we've been coming to RVCC, I think about 22 years. Uh, we have four kids and four grandkids. Uh, the real story is that we were active in a local church that went through a really ugly church split and we were fairly traumatized. Uh, we do several people that had come to RVCC and so we knew some people here, we tried it and felt like this is where we should be. I think the most defining moment for us was when our son died and the church really came around us. As Sue didn't mention, but this was a suicide. There were um, dozens and dozens of people from my company that came to the memorial service. And afterward, I had a lot of people that said to me, Dan, I don't, I don't belong, I don't have any spiritual part to me, I don't go to church, uh, but we could feel we could feel the love and support that you have around you from this local church. And, and that was often followed with, and I don't have anything like that if I went through the same thing. So it really was a testament to the Lord and to the benefit of being in a community. When we got married, um, we got married in college and we gave from the first time we got married, you know, and went to church together. And we had no money. We weren't, um, we weren't working really. <laughs> Through all that time we were giving. And so when we came to Rainier View, it was just a given that we would continue to give. Yes, yeah, so I wish we had a more spiritual answer than force of a habit started <laughs> at a very young age, but that's kind of the reality is force of a habit started at a young age. Um, and I would say the challenge for us now, uh, we're obviously not young people anymore. Speak um, for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a young person anymore. So retirement, I think, is a challenge at a couple of levels. Uh, for, I've worked at the same company for 33 years. It's a big part of my identity. So I'm, I'm looking with some trepidation at that transition because I think I'm going to miss it. And then financially, I know I'm going to miss it. Um, I was thinking this morning that I have gotten a paycheck from a company since I'm I was... I'm going to miss that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, I remember how proud I was when I had a job working as a box boy at Safeway and just getting that first real paycheck. The reality is that's been a regular thing for a lot of years. And so transitioning off of that and not having employment income is a little weird, it's a little scary. And so when we think about giving, the, the reality is there's gonna be way less income, uh, but at the same time, there are assets that have built up over the years. So our whole marriage, I've been the one that's paid the bills every week, I've been the one that has written the check or now using push pay, I've done all that. And, but it's always been, okay, I look at the money coming in and now this is the money going out. And I'm not sure how to do that when there's no money coming in. Yes, we, we look at this, um, these assets in Dan's very detailed spreadsheet. It's a great and, spreadsheet. <laughs> um, just, you know, how does that work? And that is scary and we don't know how that's gonna work. 
Um, but we do know a big part of that is going to continue to be giving because we want to be faithful to the Lord. This was maybe six months ago. I remember Jeff had in a sermon a just a sentence about we all tend to worship at the altars of comfort and security. And that was just like a bolt right through me because that is, those are altars that I, I am prone to worshiping at. And so the discipleship element of the All In Initiative, I think is really getting to that. It's, it's really getting to, uh, at the purest form, who is my God, who's my, who's, who's, who and what is number one. Wherever you are, whether you're giving a little or you're giving a lot, it's gonna make a difference. And it's, the Lord doesn't care where you're at financially. What the Lord cares about is your heart. And that is what this is all about. <laughs>